It's got a soul, this here old farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars For love is here in Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And right now, I have been chasing all the big, tall grass we have out in our pasture. You know, it's, it's that time of year where the grass is just crazy long and crazy high. And I actually have been keeping the grass in our pasture much longer than I usually would. Um, it's, it's high. It's, some of it's almost like chest high on sort of a short dude like me. And uh, it's cool to see all the wildlife that's there, you know, between the birds and the pollinators, just the, the activity within our pasture right now is just amazing. And I think a big part of it's attributable to the height of the grass. The main reason I'm leaving the grass long right now is because I want all that pollinator activity. I know that there's this crisis out there in the world right now of bees dying, and I figure I have this pasture that I'm not doing too much with in certain portions. And so if it's out there, I might as well let it do some good for wildlife and let it do some good for pollinators. And so I've been leaving the grass long. Pollinators are an interesting thing to me because I think it's a very symbiotic relationship that exists with the farm and the pollinator. And one of the things I aspire to do is try to get uh, into beekeeping and, you know, starting a hive and, you know, maintaining a hive and, you know, maybe getting some honey out of the deal. It, it seems like such an awesome art to me and a science at the same time. And I want to learn more, but I know so so little about it. And so I figured it'd be great to have a conversation with somebody who's like an awesome beekeeper. And so my friend Kaylee Richardson of The Honeystead has just some great content out there online and has been working with bees for quite a while. And she's just a great educator when it comes down to all these things. And so I figured it'd be great to have a conversation with Kaylee and learn more about the bees and learn more about what she's doing on her homestead and maybe get some wisdom that I can take and apply to our farm here in northern Vermont. So here's my conversation with Kaylee. grew up here in Virginia, so not very far from where we live right now. I grew up in the mountains. I grew up not really having a neighborhood. I had horses growing up, and the horse farm um, that we had our horses on had hundreds of beehives, so whenever we would go riding, we could kind of go in and see them, Um, but that kind of that was kind of the start. Was it like by the time you hit 18, you're like, all right, let me get my own beehives in my own place? Or like, what'd you end up doing from there? Not quite. I married my husband. We're celebrating our 14th, 14th year of marriage this this year. Um, we He was military. So he was stationed out in Kansas. And I took off and went and lived with him for a little while. And we came back and it was actually... We found we came back and we were actually on the mountain again. So we found a house there and 
we started our family. We wanted the kids to, we wanted our kids to be able to experience living on the mountain just like we did. Um, you know, walking out into the woods, kind of connecting with nature, um, learning what's edible, learning how to find water, just kind of the survival mentality. And then that kind of took another step and led us to where we are now. So, so, so what, what is that next step from, you know, survivor mentality to, to where you are now? So there was a transition period in between the, you know, foraging survival um, mentality to wanting to, you know, we, we've always, we've always gone fishing. We've always learned, we've learned how to hunt, you know, we, we've learned how to provide for ourselves. Um, and in that transition period, my husband actually came home with uh, six little baby chicks and two ducks. And then that kind of started everything. Um, we started to learn, you know, how to raise our own. I had my garden. Um, we had, we did raise pigs as well. Um, but our mountain, even though you were kind of out in the middle of nowhere, it still had a lot of guidelines and regulations. And I was honestly, I was really afraid that we weren't going to be able to, to do what we wanted to do because I was afraid somebody was going to tell on us. And, you know, just that limitation, just knowing that there was, just knowing that there was a limitation on us, like what we could do started our thought process of, okay, what do we do next? You know, if this isn't working with our plan, then we need to take the next, next step and move forward and find a piece of property that doesn't have an HOA and allow us to do what we have. So that's, that's kind of the stepping stones that took us from there to here. And, and what was that conversation like when, when you guys sort of came to that realization that the place that you were at that day wasn't going to be the place that you could be at forever? Like, how did that conversation go? What was that day like? I think it was refreshing. I think it was refreshing at, you know, here, my husband and I were, we've always kind of, we've always been on the same page, but hearing him talk about some of the things that he wanted in life and, and then me talking about what we, you know, what I wanted, it, it kind of, it was almost a, it, it almost brought us, well, it definitely brought us closer. Um, it, it definitely made us realize that, you know, if you want your goal and I want my goal, you know, we have to kind of work together. So, um, but it was refreshing. And then, Part of it was sad, you know, we, we fell in love with the mountains. Um, I, I already knew so much. I could go and find baskets of morel mushrooms. I knew exactly where there was natural springs coming off the mountain. I knew what was edible in just leaving that comfort. Uh, it was a little scary, but, but it was also really refreshing. Um, for, for folks who aren't familiar with you, uh, can you describe what, what your farm's like today? We are kind of a, 
Well, I want to say homestead. I'm, I'm not solely off-grid. I do feel that we, you know, we definitely provide, we raise our own meats, we um, grow our own vegetables, you know, we keep bees, and homestead. I mean, that's really what we are. We're, we're truly, you know, I, we're kind of a combination of everything. You know, it started out as a let's do this for us, and then it turned into a business. Um, so, you know, we sought the proper steps to be able to sell meats and raise pigs, and you know, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Um, but my ultimate plan is to kind of focus on the bees a little bit more. That's that's kind of my ultimate plan, the bees in the garden. So, so, so tell me about the bees. I, I know you've been a keeper of bees for many a year. Like, explain your setup for folks who aren't familiar with beekeeping. So I keep my bees in a pretty secure location here on the farm. Um, if you've seen some of the pictures on Instagram, and I've even put out a couple of videos of doing like garden tours, I actually keep my bees in my garden. And there's a couple of people that might have some controversy. They might not exactly agree with it, but for me it works because I have electricity up there. I have running water. I have a very secure fence. Um, we do have bears, so we have to keep, we have to keep hot wire on 24 seven. Um, so, but my, my bees are kept up in my garden area. And it's just, it's convenient. It's easy. You know, the one thing about when you're starting something or you're, you know, even farming or thinking about doing something, when you plan your layout, plan for convenience, because at some point it's going to be, it's going to make you tired. So, you know, if you plan for an easy setup and a layout that's going to work with you, not right, not just right now, but for, you know, 20 years from now when you might need a little bit of extra help. Like, you know, that's our, our mentality to, towards how we set up our farm. When people are planning homesteads and farms, they never think about that, at least as a primary consideration. But I can't tell you the number of hours I spend each month cursing the location of a water spigot here or an outbuilding there at our farm, just by virtue of the fact that it's like, 30 more steps and somewhat more inconvenient, but it, it makes a huge difference. It does make a huge difference. And when you were, so in a way we got lucky. I didn't have anything. There was, this was bare land. I mean, it didn't have any structure um, other than house, obviously. And, um, but it didn't have anything laid out. So for the first couple of months, we kind of let the land kind of tell us where we need to do things. Um, and that actually, it allowed us to actually sit back and watch and see, okay, this is going to be a good place for my garden. Um, it's also going to be a good place for my bees because I watch the way the sun rises and sets. Um, when it comes to our pastures, you know, designing them, we have two very pretty large pastures that are completely separated. So that allows me to use both pastures for grazing. Um, we have wooded land that we also fenced in and a lot of our, a lot of our wooden lay, 
a lot of the wooden land that we have, we actually set up for our pigs. Um, the reason why is because we have a ridiculous amount of oak and all the acorns and walnuts, everything that falls, the pigs just, they, they're just able to naturally forage. So it kind of helps. It helps cut down the cost on feed and it also creates a very lovely product in the end. Talk to me about the, the pigs that you raise, because they're not your ordinary garden variety type of pig. No, they're a little unique. Um, so they were, they're called the Manglisa, and there's a couple of different pronunciations and uh, spelling, of course. It, it really depends on what country you're in. Um, but they are, they were originated from Hungary. They're a Hungarian pig that was actually crossed with a wild boar. We chose that breed because I wanted something that was going to be hardy. You know, it's, I know I've been reading a lot about this whole autopilot gardening. Well, we kind of autopilot farm, um, in a way it's, it's hands on, but hands off. And our, the, the pigs themselves are very herd like. They have a very, almost a feral mentality, but they're not, they could be aggressive. Any animal could be aggressive. Um, but for health wise and hardiness and just what they produce overall, I can't complain. And, and they're unique and they, they actually. Because they're really they furry, right? Like. Yes, they're very furry. So we've got two different type right now. We have the blonde, um, which they are, they look like sheep. And then I have the swallow belly, which are black. And then their underbelly is brown. My plan is to, when it's time to possibly redo our herd, I would love to find some red, the red ones. So that's that's kind of in the next couple year plan, possibly. What are the drawbacks? Like, you know, if somebody's hearing this and saying, "Oh, these sound like interesting pigs." There are some trade offs, though, right? There are some trade offs. Um, they're overall. Their finishing rate, it is a little bit longer than what your normal Berkshire pig, uh, Yorkshire, Hereford, um, they do take a little bit longer. But for us, it's worth the wait. I don't mind giving it a couple extra, you know, couple extra months. Um, we've built a herd that's large enough that the rotation allows for me to let them finish, let them grow, and then you know, how many, how many pigs do you have? So we are actually down to nine. We at one point had probably close to 60. Um, we had a couple of our customers purchase many of them and, uh, they've, they did very well for the, the restaurant. So, um, but for right now we're kind of, you know, I sell to, to local, I sell to local clients um and then obviously you know we raised for us and, and friends and family but my time is now kind of graduate my time is now moving towards the bees and the garden i'm kind of shifting my focus a little bit i'm still raising but i want to learn more i want to learn as much as i can about the bees um, i feel like i've mastered the pigs now it's time to okay what's my next step Beyond just bringing honey, like what what's the value of the bees for the homestead? Do you do you feel like? Oh gosh, I can tell you right now. Actually, I was reading an article. I wanted to do a little bit more research of it, um, but it was basically discussing how 
they're finding that bees are not only help they're not only helping with produce and your you know fields but they're actually altering the soil bettering the soil it's bettering the content of what's in the soil and that's something that you know is on my list to actually start to really dive into i want to look at it from a different perspective um, but I, th- I can say, though, that from looking at our grazing animals and noticing the fields, noticing the clover and the abundance of clover that we had this year, I, I can 100 percent contribute it to the bees. So. And, and what work is it for, for you to take care of them? I mean, is it like daily chores, monthly? Like what, what sort of maintenance does it require? Um, I go out this time of year. It really depends on what time of year. So wintertime, obviously, you don't really do much. You kind of let them be. Um, spring, spring is probably, spring and early summer are probably the most that I do with them. And it's probably every, about every month I go in and check. Um, but really, the best thing to do is kind of let them, let them be, let them do what they're doing. Be. When Exactly. When you go in and check, you know, there are some things that I'm looking for. I'm looking to make sure that there's plenty of eggs. I'm looking to make sure that, you know, the queen's producing. Um, I'm checking to make sure that they have enough space or maybe they have too much space uh, and, and kind of, you know, learning to read the bees like a book. You know, each hive has a story. And if you learn the certain keys and learn certain points, you can actually really be able to diagnose what's going on and if they need anything or if they don't need anything. So right now we're getting ready to start preparing for uh, fall and, and winter. So that's our next step, which with that, that comes mite checks that, you know, make sure that everyone's good. And you know, we've set aside quite a bit of capped honey for them and they have pollen and everything that they need to, to make them, to see them through the winter. How much honey can you expect from from your bees on a given year? It depends. I think that really depends on the beekeeper. Um, I could go out and just wipe out as much honey as as I want and take everything that they've made. But that's not exactly the type of beekeeper I am. You know, ultimately, the honey is just a plus. But my goal is more the bees. And so when we go to cap, when we go to pull our honey, I only pull capped, I only pull capped honey. I don't pull anything that's not capped. Um, I don't pull anything that has brood, even if there's capped honey and there's brood in there. That's that's not going to do them any good if I take that. So for us this year, we got, we got a couple hundred, a little over, I want to say it was like 240, 240 pounds of honey. That's not insignificant. (laughs) But honestly, if I really wanted to, I probably could have gotten closer to 800 if I really wanted to. Um, But, you know, when we pulled our honey, there was still quite a bit that they were working on and capping. And that's the important thing. When you, if you pull honey that's not capped, the humidity, the moisture count is too high in that. So whatever I mix that in with the honey, whenever that comes out and it's, it's there, the honey will eventually ferment if it's, if it has too much of a higher 
um, if it has too much of a, of a high moisture count. So the trick is to only pull what's capped, and then you know your honey's not going to go bad. And and do you do stuff with the wax as well? I do. Um, we make our own balms. I make salves, balms, uh, beard balms, lip balms. Um, you can make you know lotions. We made a body bar that was pretty nice. It helped with you, especially in the winter time with like dry skin. Um, but a lot of it I save and use for them. So if they need it. For somebody though who's listening to this and, and saying, wow, you know, bees seem like an interesting, important thing for the environment. And, and when you think the barrier to entry, you know, you don't need acres and acres of pasture to set up a couple of hives. How would yeah. somebody go about getting started when it comes to beekeeping? Uh, the first thing I would suggest is to contact your local extensions office and see what clubs are out there. You know, every county, every area, district area should have a club. You're going to want to be a part of that. It's mainly because of the education. I mean, there might be beekeepers that have been doing this for 40 years. There might be some that have been doing this for a year, you know, but every single beekeeper has probably experienced something similar, but yet something different that they can kind of help contribute to your knowledge. It can be overwhelming, but honestly, most clubs are really great about getting people what they need, telling them and helping them direct, you know, this orchestra. I mean, that's the thing. Like there, it can be so intimidating when you, when you start and you're looking, reading as many books as you can, but it can be extremely intimidating. So finding a good club and having a good mentor, which most clubs are great. They will actually pair you up with a mentor. Um, they'll help you get the bees. They'll help you get into the hives. They'll help you show, show you guys, you know, what you're actually, what are you looking at? I think that's the biggest thing with the, with being a beekeeper is when you're in the hive, what are you looking at and why are you looking at that? You know, if you learn those steps, you know, it's only going to make you a better beekeeper. I, I see some of the things you do and it, it's so impressive and I see so much value in the bees themselves. I, I keep kicking myself each year for not trying to get some hives started. So I think maybe next year might be the year. I think next year should be there. And this is the thing. So right now, what is it? It's August, August 19th, mm-hmm. it's the end of August. So most people, and that's a really good point. Most people think spring like, oh, it's time to like, let's get bees. But really in reality, you need to start preparing like in October. You need to start educating October, November, December, start getting your equipment, building, getting everything ready because when your bees are ready, you have to be 100% ready. And and I think that that's the best advice I can give anybody who's thinking about wanting to become a beekeeper is to start now and not wait until spring. It's worth putting in the effort and it's it's worth it's worth just taking the time and and learning and seeing and not only that but once you start learning, once you can actually watch them and see what they're doing and being able to identify like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. You know, that connection that you get with the bees, it's it's just it's honestly it's very humbling 
you know, it makes you realize that you're actually being a good steward to your area, to the land. And I'm definitely a pro beekeeper, so definitely pro. Beekeeper. Well, if you are the honeystead, that makes sense to a certain extent. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. So how how did the rest of your summer go so far? So far, so good. Um, we are starting to plant our fall garden. Um, was able to produce quite a bit of vegetables this year. Um, tomatoes, eh, a little fifty-fifty on that. I still have quite a, still have a couple of, of things that we need to do um, over the winter. Hopefully, I can get that done by next spring. Um, but for the most part, it was a good winter, or it was a good summer. So just hot, hot, and I'm kind of ready for fall. <laughs> yeah and, and what, what are your plans longer term as you look at your place and think about where you want to go with things so long term goals here I definitely want to ramp up more with the bees um, I would love to become a producer of bees so that people who want local bees uh, you know, can get them from me that's kind of the goal um, I have found definitely found a love for the youth and and teaching the children about bees and you know not being able not being afraid i guess there's something about their the innocence that they have when they're looking at them like it's it's like they know they're scared of them but they don't know why you know other than they think that they can sting you which they can um but you know trying to break that stigma with, with kids and just show them that they're they're just gathering food to go back home to their family, you know, changing the mentality of it. Um, that's kind of my plan is to kind of focus on kids and focus on hopefully creating next generation beekeepers. So that's kind of my plan. So. Well, that's a noble goal. And now you're going to be teaching uh, bee, bee stuff down at Homesteaders of America this year, right? am actually so we are we are hosting a workshop here um it's the thursday before and we're gonna i'm gonna have people come in i'm gonna actually get them into the hive so that they can actually see what's happening and you know learn firsthand some of the do's and don'ts um i'm also hoping to be able to kind of help show them how to build a hive and we're also probably going to be doing um, some honey extracting as well so that people can kind of see that. I'd love for everybody to be able to leave with a jar of honey. Um, I do plan on showing them what they're going to do with the extra cappings, the wax, um, and maybe make some products with them as well. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the goal. I'm finally sitting down to actually like finalize my list of things to talk about. Um, so that is on Thursday. And then I'm also speaking at the conference this year. Um, and I, I'm going to be talking about pigs and how to raise them on your homestead and, you know, help kind of give people a different perspective about the pigs, not just a pig, and talk about, you know, picking your, the perfect pig for your homestead and, and how to do it sustainably. Cool. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually planning on going down, so I'll, I'll definitely have to check some of that out. Now, for, for someone who is hearing your story and hearing what you're doing at your homestead with the bees and the pigs and everything else, uh, and they say, gosh, I want to be doing something like that, what advice would you have for that person? I would just tell them to start. 
and not to be, I, I have this saying I say pretty much after every uh, video that I post and it's don't be afraid to get your hands dirty and, and learn something old, you know, and, and if you, you don't know if you're going to fail or succeed if you don't do it, if you don't try. And even if it's one tomato plant or, you know, a couple of chickens, you don't have to go overboard and do everything. Um, but if you want to, by all means, you know, just it's worth it. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. I, I really did, and I learned a lot. And, you know, fingers crossed, I will be trying to start my own hives next year. If you want to learn more about Kaylee, be sure to check out her YouTube and Instagram. Um, it's called The Honeystead, all one word. I'll leave links for it down below in the show notes. And if you want to learn more about us and what we're doing here on our farm at Goldshaw Farm, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. We put out two videos a week, lots of adventures, lots of activity with uh, trying to start a farm here in Vermont. And I hope you guys would follow along. Uh, with that, I will be back very, very soon with another episode of the Goldshaw Farm podcast and another interview. And until then, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here. Goldshaw Farms A city life Yeah, it had its charms But we would dream Of the fields under the stars I fall asleep Inside its arms The love is here At Goldshaw Farms The love is here At Goldshaw Farms